You're listening to the Running in Production podcast, where developers and engineers talk about their tech stacks, lessons learned, and general tips from running web apps in production. Here's Nick and today's guest. Welcome to Running in Production. Today, I'm with Chris Goodwin, who is using Django and Python to create an internal employee management app. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate being here. Yeah, happy to have you on. So do you want to kick things off by introducing yourself and letting people know a little bit more about your app? Uh, sure. Yeah, my name is Chris Goodwin. Um, the app is Employee Management. Uh, it is a big project. I guess it's a, kind of a combination of a couple apps, actually. Uh, the basis of it is um, we had we have a large school district. I work for a school district, um, and it is very large, one of the largest in our state. So we have 29 locations in total where we have a multitude of uh, staff and grade levels running K through eight. And staffing of those can be pretty interesting uh, from year to year. So ultimately we needed an app to assist with this because previously it had kind of all been done uh, through Excel files or there was even paper pencil aspects to it all where you know, people would fill out these forms, have to send these forms to HR, HR would take a look at them, have to put this stuff in their files, da 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 da. And over the course of staffing for each individual school year, uh, similar workflow would uh, be entailed for staffing of the schools. Like, uh, this teacher is going to be here teaching this at this grade level. You know, we have these rooms available. We're going to put them here, here, and here, kind of a thing. So we thought, well, there's certainly a better way. So we went about creating uh, employee management, which has two uh, apps to the actual project. Uh, one that's more guided towards the HR side of things. And then there is another that is more tilted towards the school side of things for the principals and the staff members. Very cool. Yeah, I always like hearing stories how things progress from like, you know, pen and paper to an Excel sheet to some homegrown app to solve that specific problem. Yeah, it was uh, it was a, a long it was a long process, <laughs> but ultimately now it's um, we've gotten a lot of really really good feedback uh, from the staff um, and from the administration and stuff. We worked really really closely with um, HR in in the development process, so we we brought them on you know pretty early into everything and and we talked with them about like what where their major pain points were and then we talked with um, different principles that that we knew were from different ranges right like certain people are obviously very tech savvy we have some some people in our district that are like i'm sure they could probably come and be a technician for the district because they just know technology really well um, which is that actually is where i started in the district was as a technician uh, eventually moving into programming a few years ago so um but we have some that are tech savvy, some that are not quite so tech savvy. And we talked with principals that we knew were kind of a wide variety of that just to make sure that like we were trying not to miss any pieces with this particular application. We wanted it to be good for uh, for everybody across the board. And I think I think we did a pretty good job with that. Nice. Yeah, that sounds very much like the workflows you would do to maybe build some type of application, right? It's like talking to your customers, you know, figure out what they want and then you build it. Uh, very good process. So 
You mentioned we a couple of times here. Are there a couple of different people building this app or is it just you? Uh, so there are a couple people. Um, it was, we, we've, he's since moved on to another position. Um, there are two, we have two developers in the district. So it's myself and another uh, gentleman. Um, he's been with us now for, uh, I think like three or four months. Um, so he's, you know, relatively new to it all. But the, um, there was another developer before him uh, who was uh, kind of senior to me at the time. And um, so it was him and I who developed everything. And then our manager who manages our department actually is our database guy. So he he is what I call the database guru. He knows pretty much anything you can think about when it comes to uh, Microsoft SQL, which is what we use for our backend for our app. So we, we relied heavily on him um, when we were kind of modeling things out between uh, these two different apps uh, in the in the employee management project so we, we spent a whole like I mean I think it was like an entire three days just in a, in a little conference room with the three of us kind of hashing out how our models were going to look and how you know which uh, which model was going to be part of which application and, and that sort of thing so um, but it's it's proved to be time well spent uh, in the in the time that, that we've had this app up and, and going and we've used it for um, a couple of years now, uh, I think there's only been like one model change and it was extremely, extremely minor. Oh, wow. So this has been up and running then in production for a couple of years? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think we're going to be entering the third year. Sounds like a really uh, very nice manager to have, right? Where you guys can just talk shop and model databases together. Yeah. Yeah. He is a, uh, He's fantastic. I, I really can't say enough great things about him. Um, you know, I'm I'm a father of two, and he is a father of three. So it's it's really nice too to have that kind of family understanding. Like when you know, if you get a kid who's sick or something like that. I mean, even beyond just being able to talk shop, it's nice to just have another dad there who goes, "No, no, I get it. Like, go take care of your kid. Not a big deal." So he's a uh, yeah, fantastic guy, and just such a. He's, it's nice to be able to have somebody that I can talk technically to and have him understand, not like, you know, I think at a lot of like more corporate places, it's like, okay, talk, you got to talk bottom dollar, you know, what's this going to cost us? What, you know, what are the numbers going to look like? Whereas with this guy, I can go, okay, well, look, here's the technical debt. Here's the technical things that we're struggling with, you know, and here's an approximation of time. And, and he gets that. So it's, it's super nice. Right. And I guess like, most importantly, you have someone you can bounce around like dad jokes on with, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. He usually kind of rolls his eyes, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to Django and Python here, what motivated you to use that? Um, when I came into the department, uh, I was, you know, new to programming, I guess, in a professional manner. And that was probably... I don't know, three and a half years ago now. So this was, I had done a, an application, like a benefits application for our district uh, with the other developer previously. That one, the benefits app kind of had existed. We were just kind of adding some functionality and some features. Uh, this was my first foray into like, here is a completely new from scratch. We have no clue, layout, look, feel anything so it was a it was a big thing um that was a you know it was a lot of fun to get started on so so is there anything about django that really really fits very well with your app like certain components of django that you might be using 
Yeah, you know, the the one of the reasons, so part of the reasons that we did go with Django and Python, um, and I'm and I'm sorry, I guess more to your previous question, uh, they they were using Python when I came in. So Python was kind of the language that they were going with, uh, and then Django was the framework that they had eventually kind of started teetering towards. So since we knew since this application was going to be so large and so um, expansive uh, across a you know a multitude of different areas, um, both with the principles and then in the HR side, Django we knew Django was going to be a good fit for this project as well, um, and it just it worked out well in that we we kind of touched a little bit of everything in Django um, since this was like my my first really massive app uh, in the district. It was uh, it was kind of eye opening. Uh, I got kind of uh, baptized by fire, if you will, or you know, uh, thrown in with the wolves there right off right off the bat. And then this was kind of my hey, now you can kind of now you're a little bit more familiar with stuff. You know, cut your teeth a bit further with this application. So we did a lot of a little bit of everything, really. I mean, we even brought in Django REST framework. Um, we we've got some API endpoints in there because we had to. Uh, use a little bit of uh, view uh, to manage the front end in some spots where it just made sense where it, it just it fit really well so I mean there really wasn't a whole lot that we we weren't touching uh, from from the Django side I mean we were doing using managers and and uh, even uh, context managers and stuff like that to kind of manage all these like little bits and pieces throughout the whole workflow for our user so it was it's it's a pretty it's a pretty cool project. Nice. So you mentioned using Vue with Django REST framework for some parts of the app. Is the app like primarily just using Django templates with uh, server render templates with a little bit of JS here and there for the for the main part? Yeah, yeah. Primarily, it's server rendered templates. Um, we do the Django template framework. Um, there's nothing too fancy. Uh, the we use a little bit of JavaScript for. Um, you know, pretty minor stuff. It's like, you know, moving this here, like opening, collapsing stuff, um, which has helped along with the, we use the bootstrap framework um, for our CSS and for a little bit of JavaScript there um, for interacting with some of those items. So it's, it's made pretty easy there, but there was just a few, a few screens where it was like, man, this just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to have to have people, you know, going here and going there and, and, and sending them all over when we could just, you know, you sprinkle in some view in just a few little spots here and there and just kind of make, uh, make it a little bit more interactive on the same page. So they, so that the workflow for like a principal who might be scheduling out his building, he can just get in there and just use keyboard commands and just work through the whole list of his building and get it done in 20 minutes instead of you know, taking a, an hour or something, going to this page and then having to go back to this page or something like that. So Interesting. Yeah. I mean, you have managers knowing about databases and principles, like using keyboard shortcuts, like next thing you know, like that guy's going to be using Vim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to your app here, uh, is this more of like a monolithic app or do you have it broken up into a couple of different services? Uh, it's, it's monolithic. Um, we don't really do anything with like any, any kind of microservices. It's just a a big giant app. <laughs> right. Uh, but speaking of Django features, maybe do you use Django apps within this monolith? Yes. 
yeah, we have uh, this uh, employee management is uh, is the project, and then we have uh, it's broken out into two Django apps within that project. Uh, if you're able to, can you let us know what those apps are? Sure. Um, so the one of the apps is called Position Control, uh, and that app is what the is going to be more aimed towards the principals uh, side of things. It's going to be where they're staffing their schools or um, doing something like that. And then there is the employee central side. The employee central side actually is, um, it is a little bit more to aimed towards HR because it has the functionality of whenever, whenever a principal, maybe a principal from school A wants this teacher, but that teacher is at school B. That principal can put in, when they're staffing their school, they can say, hey, I really want you know this teacher from school B, uh, they can put in that request and then that request gets processed and handled by employee central. Um, so when HR comes in and they log into employee central, they will see, oh, look, there's a pending transfer. So that way they, they have an idea of like, oh, this principal at this school wants this teacher from the other school. Do we want to approve that or deny that? Or, you know, and then they can follow up and make the necessary phone calls if they have to, well, why, you know, why are you want this person or whatever? So yeah, those are the two applications there. There's a couple other apps that that are also there um, that are more like, um, I guess you would call them utility applications in a way, uh, in that they are not necessarily tied to this project. Um, so we have like a um, a district uh, District 54 application, which is in a multitude of different projects, but it has little utility functions and little helpers, um, and it is the one where our user model is kept. So when we know that we want to deal with like district users, we can bring that app into the project, and then we have access to that particular user model. So we know that we're going to be pulling from things that are kept in sync with like Active Directory and stuff like that. Okay. So are, are you also using things like Django's admin as well or no? Yeah, we do. We rely um, on Django admin for um, not super minute stuff, but we have like um, the school year, year to year. Um, that can change, right? Like school districts might have maybe there's extra snow days. So now the district is going to be uh, that school year is going to be extended, um, stuff like that. So we built in. Um, some of that functionality is kind of a, a blend of we create those school years using the admin, um, but then there's also a front-end interface for when HR says, hey, we're done with this school year. We want to roll forward and bring all the data to the next year. Then they can click a little button and, uh, and the application, then that school year changes within the application. So it's, it's, we use a little bit of the admin, the Django admin console to do certain things. Um, for like light management of stuff. And then the rest is all built out in the front end. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but it almost sounds like maybe the Django admin isn't really exposed to the HR department or the principal. It's mainly for you guys to uh, make like little tweaks here and there. Correct. Yeah. The um, we've with some, with some apps that we've made since then, we've, we've started to lean a little bit more heavily on it because there are so many nice um, built in functionalities using that. Uh, so giving access to people and just 
kind of giving them a quick rundown on like, okay, here's what you have access to, here's how you use it, um, has been really nice. Um, but for this particular project, uh, yeah, it's pretty much limited to uh, our immediate department. Okay. So a couple of minutes ago, you kind of mentioned screens. And since this is an internal app, you know, we're not going to really be able to link to the site, like on the podcast site. So it's going to be difficult maybe for people to kind of like visualize what this app does. Can you maybe talk us through a couple of those screens? Like we're mainly dealing with like tabular data that you filter in search and checkboxes and forums, or is there more going on? Um, <laughs> there's actually a lot. Um, the the position control app in and of itself uh, is is pretty large, um, and it has there's there's a lot of different things. So when you first come in to the position control app, if you're in HR or whatever, you would want to see the district at a glance, right? You're not necessarily interested in the minutia of like this school in this grade level has this many children enrolled. You're more concerned with like, oh hey, this building has too many staff there right now for what they actually need with how many kids they have in total or something like that. So there's there's a wide range of stuff that's happening in this application. When you first come in, there's a lot of tabular data there. There's a list of all the schools. And then next to that is like, um, you know, how many kids we have enrolled, how many staff that are currently uh, allotted to that school and uh, how many how many staff were allotted through HR, uh, you know, whether they're over allocated in staff, like they, they currently have maybe 10 teachers and they really, based on the numbers, they really only need nine. Um, you know, they would see something there. And every day that data is, uh, refreshed on the database side. Um, the, we call like these stored procedures, uh, in the app. So it's like real time data. The, on those, on that list of schools, uh, you could click on one of those. It runs a stored procedure on the Microsoft SQL database that then pulls up that data and spits out exactly what uh, our HR department needs when they're looking to staff a building. So they're one click away from a report, which uh, they used to always have to walk down to us and they'd say, hey, can you run this report for me for this building? Because they might be working on that building that day or whatever the case was. Well, now it's just they log into the app they click the building, um, a little drop, uh, a collapsible div just pulls down and a little loading bar pops up. It once that stored procedure runs, cause it's, it's amassing a lot of data across, you know, for the building for, we've got 15,000 students and around 2,500 staff. So there's, um, you know, there's a lot of data there and then it kind of crunches all that and spits them out this nice looking report. Um, whereas if you were a principal coming in, uh, when you first log in, you're going to be taken directly to, uh, you will see that same list, but they are only going to be schools that you are a principal for, um, cause certain principals might administrate more than one. You don't have access to necessarily that same staffing report. When you click on the school, it's going to actually take you to a breakdown of what's happening at your school. So you're going to see like, Oh, Hey, look, HR gave me 10 teachers for first grade. Okay, cool. Well, now I know I can staff out 10 teachers worth of people in first grade or, you know, whatever the case is. So then you would put out your teachers for each particular grade level. Um, if there was some, if there was an instance where you're like, oh my, you know, I know I have these, this influx of kids coming in, but the numbers just don't reflect that yet. You can request additional staff through a little form 
it's it's basically just tabs across the top so you can kind of and they're broke down by category so there's like a general education tab and so then in general education if you were say k through fifth grade on that general education tab you would see like okay i've got this this much allotment for first grade this this much for second grade this much for third and so on and as you go through each tab it might be general education then there's like special education then there's um, language and culture for example or something else there's there's a few different tabs there for different um, kind of subsections and different needs that the school may have and there's also a staff needed tab where you can say hey I need I'm going to have this influx of people I need a little bit more staff right here and you can make that request and then that goes to HR and HR can say yeah sure we agree here you go and then as a principal you can staff more people so that's that's position control in a nutshell there's um, it's a multitude of forms on different pages um, of just inputting personnel for for data uh, or data for personnel excuse me Um, there's you know when you're staffing them out you're going to be pulling there's a we use select two which is a javascript component for making an ajax request to um, hit the an api endpoint on the employee central side since that's where a lot of the employee data is and so then it will pull up only employees for your building that you're staffing Um, unless you're staffing say for next year Uh, if you're staffing for next year then you're allowed to pick from anybody any school in the whole district but if you're picking for this year uh, and and then you're limited to just those people in your building so you can move people around but uh, yeah it's kind of a there's a lot to it it's hard to describe i think in a way uh that that is really conducive to getting a good understanding of it but uh in a nutshell that's it i think that's uh, a good start to get us going here so this app it sounds like there's a lot of things where like you know the principal or hr does something but then the other recipient might need to get notified by that like do you have any type of like a notification system built into this app I guess the I guess the quick answer is no. There's no like when a user logs in, they're not going to see necessarily an, an alert or anything like that that says, "Hey, you know, you've got these five notifications waiting" or anything like that. Um, we actually just use a a flag, just like a little by a boolean field on one of the models, like if it's a pending transfer or if it's been you know, accepted or declined or whatever. So when HR logs in and they go to that particular section, they will see like, oh, there's six pending transfers for people moving buildings or something like that. So it's very rudimentary, I guess. I, I suppose it's a notification system of sorts. Um, it's just very, very basic and straightforward. There's nothing, um, nothing happening that's uh, too crazy. Okay. So also you mentioned previously that, you know, some of these reports, you have to do a fair bit of like number crunching and generating the report. Then there's like a little spinner and, you know, over like an Ajax call, you get the response back. Like, do you, are you doing a lot of work inside of Celery or no? Um, that's something that I've looked into. Um, and at the time, I really was still, still really, I guess, coming to grips with Django. Um, uh, all my development previously before coming to this district and in this apartment was um, just like personal projects and stuff. So it was a lot of like PHP and like, um, you know, whatever I could kind of get my hands on. I was doing a little bit of Laravel, but I didn't really know 
a lot about the whole workflow and how it all like worked in a in a bigger environment so once i came here it was like a crash course for me um, and i was so new still at the time of writing this application that it, i think it really kind of um I was learning so much and, and, and I'm continuing to learn so much, right? Like that's, what's great about programming. You just, you never stop. There's always more. And celery specifically is like, I, I wonder to myself, like even on the weekends when I shouldn't be thinking about work, I'm like, man, would celery make my life so much easier there? Um, because we don't use it. And, and there are certain times where the app just, it takes time, right? Like it's just spinning and spinning and spinning. And I'm just like, Oh man, I feel like it reflects on me and I'm just like, man, if I just had something like if I would have known about celery back when I was building this, I could have made it so much more efficient and look a little bit better. But, uh, um, right now we don't, but it is something that's on the agenda for the future. So, okay. Yeah. When it comes to celery, it's like, will this thing make my app better? The answer usually is yeah. Like it is a really nice tool. Yeah, I've uh, everything I've read about it looks like I'm like, man, this is like a perfect use case for that. Like we just have all these different buildings and it's like the same report. It's just done at different buildings. I'm like, it seems like the perfect use case for me. Yeah. So it sounds like maybe you also do like you do like periodic reporting stuff, too, right? Like, you know, every day at 4 a.m. generate this report. Are you doing things like that or no? Um, yeah. On the database side, there are certain uh, scripts that we have. That, that are kicked off that just maybe run, you know, a, a stored procedure in the database that then uh, generates this data and the script kind of runs through it and does little bits of bits and bobs with like the users and stuff like that for keeping them. It's mostly it mostly has to do with a, a lot of them have to do with just syncing our user base between like what's an active directory versus what's in our uh, Django user databases and stuff like that. But um, yeah, there's a number of different reports that get generated throughout the night. So those nightly reports then, like what's controlling, like what's triggering those? Is it like the Windows equivalent of a cron job or is like that something that's built into the Microsoft database? Uh, it's it's a task scheduler in Windows, which is, yeah, it's a very similar to a cron job. So we just set it up to say, hey, run this script every day at 4 a.m. And then it it handles that. Yeah. Yeah, I only brought that up because like one cool feature of Celery is that you can have it run those periodic tasks as well. Like instead of having to set up that that Windows scheduler. Mm. Yeah, that's nice. I didn't I did not realize that. So going back to your tech stack, like you mentioned you're using, you know, Microsoft SQL database. Like are you using anything else under the hood that runs this? Like which web server do you use, et cetera? Um, so it's nothing crazy. It's uh we run on we're a Microsoft shop. So we run on Windows servers, and then we have Apache installed on top of that. Um, we use virtual hosts to handle, uh, we use uh, Apache with ModWizGi to kind of interface uh, on the Django side. And then we use the virtual hosts in Apache to kind of navigate, uh, you know, what, what traffic is going where. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's essentially it. There's <laughs> there's not much Microsoft SQL for our backend database. And then, um yeah, it's pretty straightforward. So I have a question for you, and hopefully you'll know right away the answer to this one because you worked with PHP as well in the past. So back in my heyday, uh, you know, I was very much into PHP. Like this is well before WordPress and Laravel and things like that. But one of the really awesome things about PHP was that you just upload code into a directory, and like the next time someone loads your page, Apache will just serve the new content. There's no concept of like 
having to restart, you know, like a G-Unicorn process or something like that. Does does mod WSGI work that way with your Python app, or do you still have to like restart something when you do a code change? You know, I, to be to be completely honest, I'm not 100% sure. I know that I always restart it. Um, in in any of the changes that I've done, I've always had to restart Apache uh, after I push out new code. Um, but I've never. I don't know. I wonder. I wonder if there would be that kind of a change. I don't believe that that is the case, though. My understanding is that you have to restart Apache every time. At least in my experience as well, I've always had to restart Apache to get those changes to propagate. Okay, so probably somewhere in the mod WSGI apps, it's like, hey, to see app changes, you know, you do need to restart Apache. It's not like how it would be with PHP. Yeah, yeah, correct. Okay, cool. So do you manage then like your SSL certs through Apache as well, or do you have something sitting in front of that? Um, so we use self-signed certs. Uh, so I create like the request for those and then our, our server admin team kind of handles the rest of it from there. They, they put everything in place. Um, and then in the virtual host in Apache, uh, I just put the certs on the server, link to them and then, uh, restart and, and we're off to the races. Nice. And then I guess you have Apache also serving your static files. Yes, that is correct. Yep. We've got to do the run the collect static and all that jazz and. And uh, yeah, and it kicks them out there. So some, sometimes it's a little obnoxious because you'll, you'll make a change and you'll be like, you, you'll forget, you know, you, you added this other little icon or something like that in there. And all of a sudden it's not showing and your boss is going, how come this isn't working? Like it looked good on your machine. And you're like, oh yeah, I forgot to collect the static stuff. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the experience been like for running this in, on Windows? Because that's something I have no experience of. Like I actually run Windows as my dev box with like WSL, but I've never deployed an app onto Windows, at least not in the last like 18-ish years. Um, yeah, I, I don't think you're alone <laughs> in that. Most of the people, when I tell them that we're using Apache on Windows uh, with a Microsoft SQL you know, database, and they kind of look at me and I can tell the wheels are turning. They're just like, what? And most of the time that's what they say is, what why you know and um it's it's not bad uh there was a lot of uh we've made a lot of changes through the years uh that that i've been there um there it used to be a bit of a, a pain but it's it's really just we've got it down now where we just clone in our git repositories and we point apache to those locations and you know we fire up apache apache runs um, as a service so anytime windows goes down or there's a restart updates um, whatever the case is power outage which everything has you know battery backups uh the the district has uh it's their their server their server servers that they have there at the district are like really well maintained the the admins there do such a good job um so it really, it should never go down unexpectedly. Um, but in the event that it would, since it's a Windows service, um, Apache just launches and fires right up when Windows, uh, when the server starts up. So it's always up. Um, we just, yeah, clone in the Git repo, point Apache to that particular directory, um, set up the certs, and then from there on, it's it's uh, going forward. It sounds pretty painless, although. I do want to ask you this, like when it comes to Windows Server, how often does it need to do those re like updates where you actually have to reboot? I, d 
don't think it's very frequent. And usually um, one of our admins will just let us know. He'll just say, hey, I'm going to be updating this box today. Is there anything on there, you know, that that you need to handle before I take this down? It'll be down for, I don't know, 10 minutes or something for, for an update. Um, so it's it, it seems really infrequent to me to the point where it's causing interruptions in, in my day or, or our workflow in our department. So um, I, I think the ones that actually require a reboot are infrequent. <laughs> um, I don't, I'm not... Uh, I'm not the person that handles that updating of those things. So I'm not sure on the exact timeline though. Right. That is good to hear though. As someone here, like I do run windows 10 pro. And even if I defer updates here and there, it's like, I'm still rebooting my box probably about once a month minimum just to get some, you know, windows update. But I would imagine, you know, that's not like a dedicated server operating system. So possibly different requirements. Yeah, I think, and I think when they do do the updates, um, in just my talks with uh, some of the server guys, they've, I, I believe most of those updates are developed for that server OS in such a way that it doesn't necessarily have to be restarted. Um, every once in a while, we'll get that notice. I'll see that notice come up that's like, oh, Windows has updates to install. And I'll have to call over and be like, hey, um, do you want me to install these? And they'll, the, the guys will just be like, no, 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 we're going to handle it tonight or on a weekend. So, um, they, they try to schedule it around times when staff is going to be, you know, really low. There's going to be really few people on. Um, so for us, it really doesn't impact our day-to-day. -day. Right. Yeah, that is something I wanted to follow up with you. It sounds like you have the type of app where, you know, there really is like dedicated hours of operation and, you know, that series of time where on the weekend or, you know, after 6 p.m. or something like that where traffic really cuts down. Is, is that the case then? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 nice in that fashion too, um, just from the fact that I don't have to necessarily worry so much um, that something is going to happen and go nuts in the middle of the night because there's nothing, there's no one on, there's nobody really using it, so I get a good night's rest. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the only thing I need to worry about, I guess, is the IT team just sitting there on the servers playing like multiplayer quake together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so speaking of those servers though, and I don't know if you would know this, if they really take care of them, but do you know like what the server specs are in them? Um, I do know they're pretty beefy. Uh, we have, um, like I know we, we do run uh, WordPress on one of them. And I know that particular server has got like, it's got eight cores, you know, 32 gigs of Ram. I mean, it's, it's pretty well, set up for whatever we would want to throw at it. Um, and I think most of them are specced out similarly, maybe not quite as much Ram, uh, on the particular one for employee management, but I know it's, it's going to be pretty close. Right. And I guess this is one of those cases where, you know, everything is on prem. You didn't really have to monkey around with the server. You just get that VM that you have access to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We'll just tell them, Hey, we need, this is what we need. We're going to be running this particular application and we need a server to kind of handle this load and they, and they know based on the other apps that we've deployed in the past, you know, roughly what's, what's going to be able to kind of handle, handle it. If it's something where we're like, no, this is, is a big app like employee management. Um, they'll usually throw a little bit more hardware department at it so we can have just a little bit more better specs on that one. But, uh, it's kind of a, a project by project basis, um, with them and what servers they're going to spin up for us. 
right? Do you know like on average what the turnaround time is when you request to have that server and you get it back? Or does it really depend? Um, it's it's really quick. I mean, in our whole department, I think, our whole technology department, I think is like, I think we're under, we're probably under 20 people. So it's, it's really small, um, but it's nice in that respect because then it's like, well, we still have to go through the channels, right? Like I, my boss has to make that request to the head of IT and then the head of IT has got to talk to the server guys and they've got to make sure that they, you know, can set that all up and stuff. But I, it's, it's generally pretty quick. I want to say there's like a week, maybe turnaround time. It's like, Hey, we need a server for X, Y, and Z. They ask us about the specs. Head of IT says, yep, sounds good. Looks good. And okay. Is it? And then it seems like, probably a few days to a week we've we've got it up and running okay that's not too bad and, and i guess like you know throughout that process it's not like you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs waiting for them like you would request that when you know that you're still like you, you know you're actively developing the project right yeah it's like not 100 percent done sitting there waiting to deploy yeah absolutely yeah we, we try to keep all of our ducks in a row and get things rolling well in advance so usually by the time we're ready to deploy an application um you know the server's up it's it's just sitting there just waiting for us to log in and and install python and and you know clone down our code and get get on there and do all that good stuff so um yeah our, our, i will say that they, the, the departments are just they, they work really really fantastically um our server admins are just they're they're on it like our if we have a problem generally there's like yeah yeah give me a few minutes you know and then get a call a couple minutes later and they're like oh you're all good so it is, it is nice. Nice. So you mentioned that, you know, you're kind of on the hook to install whatever you need on that server, like Python and everything else. Do you have any scripts to automate that or do you just do it by hand? Um, we, uh, I pretty much do it by hand. Um, there's not too often that we will install, uh, like we, we won't necessarily get a new server all the time. Um, there's a number of our servers that host, uh, you know, a multitude of different apps, uh, here and there. So it's, it's by the time that we're looking at getting a new server, it's gotta be, you know, like with employee management, it was something that wasn't necessarily tied to a particular, uh, previous app that we had. So like, uh, we try to like kind of clump them together. If we've got like, we know that these are related to our student information system, well, then we have this server, which is on the back end. It, it is, uh, its ports are allowed access to that particular, that student information server database. Um, so if we have apps that are going to be utilizing that, well, we would install them on that box because it has that, that access um, at the port level. Um, but whereas if it was a different app um, that didn't need that access, it might go on some other box that maybe had specific access to some other database that it, that you know, it needed. Um, in the case of employee management, it was something where it was like, well, it's going to have to kind of touch this database and this database over here. And it's going to be getting data from a couple of different spots. So it made sense to spin up its own server, uh, for that particular instance. So we, we don't do it all the time. Um, but once we do do that, we're, yeah, we're kind of given the keys to the kingdom as they say, and, uh, we can install what we see fit, whether it's uh, you know Python or Git, or if it's anything beyond like your standard deployment stuff, if it's like some weird other software, because you're running into some problem, uh, our server guys want to know, cause they just want to do their due diligence as well and make sure that 
whatever it is you're installing isn't going to just, you know, hose up all the work that they've done. But, uh, but yeah, for the most part, it's, it's pretty easy going. They can just, we can kind of just put whatever we, we need and see fit on there. Cool. So when you get like keys, keys to the kingdom there, are you actually going like physically to the server and interacting like directly on a terminal there, or do you get some remote access to it? Uh, generally they set us up with remote access to everything. So I've never had an instance where I've, I've had to like physically go in the server room and, and, uh, slam away on a terminal. <laughs> right. So what does remote access look like from the windows point of view? Is it like just SSHing into the box or is there a different protocol? Um, we just use the, uh, windows, uh, like on, on, we develop on Macs here. Um, so they've got like their windows remote desktop um app that you can then just like plug in the data and they just give you you know a user account um, which is local to that particular server and then you just pop that information in there and it's just like a remote desktop that you would use on windows if you were on a windows box um, you would just use the remote desktop client to pop into there so uh if like now with all of the uh wonderful covid stuff uh going on uh we've had times where I've you know obviously had to go into those boxes but I have to just make sure that I'm VPN'd in and there are some boxes which are accessible only on the wired network so I actually have a Windows box at at my office where I have to remote into that first and then use the remote desktop from within Windows to then get into that other server so well wow. starting to get into like inception territory there yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a very uh yeah, they, they run a real tight ship on the network side. So it's uh, there are a few extra hoops from time to time, but it is, is very secure. So Yeah, that's good to hear. Now with this remote desktop setup, though, I guess you're just getting a full, like a GUI, right? Like you can see a Windows desktop, click around. It's not just like a command line. Yep, yep. It works the same as if you were sitting in a Windows box. It's, uh, it's really nice to me. I'm a pretty visual person, so I kind of like that. So going back to maybe what you mentioned before about your deployment setup. Do you want to just walk us through what it's like to get from development to production? Like when you want to introduce a new feature into the app? Sure, sure, absolutely. So we've gotten it now to where it's it's pretty simple. Um, it, and it didn't always used to be this way. Uh, we've, we've started uh, using environment variables really, really heavily, which was when I first started, that was not something that we did. Uh, and that has changed our deployment process pretty dramatically for the better um, in the fashion that um, since, you know, if, if we're working on a new feature for an existing app, everything's already set up. So we would just develop locally on our machines, uh, make sure that everything is working as expected, um, write some tests to make sure that, you know, everything looks good. Uh, we would put that into uh, merge everything into our dev branch uh, from our dev branch we'd make a pull request to master once it all everything gets okayed there um, you would just remote into the server and you would just pull down the master branch uh, and, and restart apache Un unless there was like a migration or something uh, for the models in which case you would you know run any of the the migration you know if you're going to migrate your django app or whatever um, you would run that and then restart apache but for the most part it's just pulling down the master branch and restarting apache Interesting. So have you ever gone down the route of like maybe wanting to script out some of that stuff? Because you mentioned that one time where it's like, you know, you forget to run collect static or maybe you forget to do like a pip install if there's a new requirements file. Have you ever had issues like that happen? Um, yeah, 
Yeah, there's there's definitely been a few times where when we were moving in this direction of like having this having master be production Um, because before it was kind of like for the most part it was that way but there's always those niche one-off things right where somebody made a change on some branch and it needed to be pushed out yesterday so they didn't bother following the process they just like switched to that branch on the production box and like you come in and you're like wait why am i on this weirdly named branch um but the since we've gone the the route of uh using like the master branch it's been um considerably better and and i have thought about like scripting out that stuff um but i just don't know i don't know the the best way to do that yeah i've thought about it for some time and i just i i haven't come up with any way where i'm like oh i can just kick this off this way and and let that handle it and with the small amount of work i think that it is for us as far as like you know run a git pull and we we know it's it's a small team just myself and the other developers so we kind of we both have an idea of who's doing what at any given time so there's never really a time where it's like we don't know what's in this poll that we're we're pulling in so most of the time it's pretty evident right away whether we got to migrate because you'll see the migration file when you pull in the changes or you'll know because the other developer will be like hey I made a migration here just make sure you migrate before we go live it is there absolutely is the potential there that uh, we could miss something and the app might be broken for five minutes instead of 10 seconds but uh, uh, you know it's right now I think for for us um, we have a lot of apps that are just waiting in the shoot to start developing so uh, we we haven't really taken the time to sit down and script anything out just yet Right. Have you ever got into a situation where you both ended up like SSHing into the server or remote desktoping into the server and tried to deploy at the same time, or that just doesn't happen because you're so close to each other? Um, I would say 99.9% of the time, it, it just doesn't happen. Um, cause usually one of us will just be like, Hey, I got, I'll, I'll handle this or I'll, like, I'll pull out this change or I'll push this live or whatever. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty chill. It's very, uh, there's not a lot of conflict there because uh, we're both just so well aware. I mean, we sit in the same office about, well, we used to sit in the same office about five feet from each other. So it was, it was really easy to just look over and go, yeah, I got this. Right. Well, if COVID's going to do anything, it's, it's going to cause now issues where you guys might be deploying at the same time remotely now. So <laughs> new problems to discover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of that, though, like how many times do you typically deploy a day or a week, if that makes more sense? Um, actually, very infrequently. Uh, most of our changes, there. I mean, once we get an app and we and we push out an app, there's not a lot of change that we're making to it um, until somebody comes to us, maybe with, you know, uh, they say, "Hey, this, I need this feature, or it's got to do this, or it isn't doing this, or this is a bug that's broken." I would say. Once I would say on some of our older apps, I mean, it's just once a month and we just update Django and that's, that's all that that update is, is just to update Django. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like you have a very, like a low stress environment for deploying. It's, you know, it's not like you're going in there running commands like 15 times a day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Super low stress, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned that you do, you know, you're using Git here, like which Git provider do you use? And I would imagine this is also hosted on-prem too or no? 
Uh, it is not on-prem. Uh, we use Bitbucket. Um, it is like the one, I, I, it's pretty much one of the only services that isn't hosted on-prem that we, that we would use. Uh, so we use Bitbucket for everything. We've started dabbling around with uh, the pipelines feature a bit bucket, which is pretty cool. We just started like toying with that a little. Yeah, it's a very cool thing. I actually just set that up for some client work for someone not too long ago. Not terrible. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I've heard, I've read, you know, various things online, and and it seems like it could have been a mixed bag. But my experience has been good, so I really don't have anything to anything to uh, you know complain about there. Yeah, definitely makes a big difference, right? Having that pipeline set up, like maybe one day, you know, down the road and, uh, you know, I'm not trying to give you like unsolicited advice, but maybe you could at some point like actually deploy from that pipeline. Yeah, I would believe me. I would love that. <laughs> I think that would be, uh, the cat's meow, but they, uh, it's like I said, we got a pretty tight network, um, at work. So I'm not sure. I don't know what that process would be would have to begin to look like to where uh, that would become a reality for us. The best I think that we can do is um, work towards, you know, just more testing. So we know we're not forgetting to run our tests before we're pushing code up to our dev branch or making a pull request to master or something like that. So um, that's where we're working towards now is, is like testing is our next great beyond where we're just trying to get everything under test and, and trying to wrap our heads around like how to make that happen, you know, on the get side, um, each and every time when we're, we're making these merge requests and stuff. Nice. So is, is this a case where, you know, you have the tests written and you maybe run them locally and it's just getting them into CI that's like on the horizon or are you actually testing things from like round zero now? Like, you know, just getting started with PyTest or whatever. Yeah. It's, it, it's a little bit of both. Um, because, Previously, the testing was, it was all just like manual, right? It was, um, you know, fired up locally on your machine, click around, make sure that none of the features that you quote unquote know are going to work are going to break. So uh, as long as everything would pass there, you know, it was ready to go live. And then you would run into those issues of like, oh, well, you ran into a lot of like, oh, works on my machine, you know, kind of a thing. So a couple years ago with this particular project with employee management, um, you know, I took it upon myself to just kind of like spearhead that movement of like, no, we've, we've got to start doing some automated tests. Like this is going to be way too big. There's too many, you know, different screens, different forms, different, you know, things that people can be clicking on that could be breaking. And, you know, I mean, it would take us three hours to click through them all and, and put dummy data into these forms and submit everything. So I made a big push for that. Um, but uh, you know, the timeline to get it out was kind of a, a crunch for us. So, um, we've slowly been working more and more. Uh, we use PyTest um, with the PyTest Django like library as well to kind of like help bridge that gap a little bit. And that's worked out really nicely because with our backend being what it is, we have a lot of unmanaged uh, tables in our database. So the, uh, the, the best part about using PyTest is that they have that, a no migrations flag, which is really, really nice um, in that we can then actually get our applications under test. Like previously, 
when things weren't tested. I guess it had been looked at at one point and they were running into issues with the migrations because we had these unmanaged models and and they just had issues and they were kind of, they just put it on the shelf. Um, so I put together uh, the uh, config files and stuff for PyTest and I've kind of been working my way through like trying to get that all up to speed where it's like, no, here's our, you know, you can put this all together for a project and then uh, and then tie that into uh, the Bitbucket side of things to make sure that it, it runs when we're pushing stuff up. But it's been a it's been a long journey to get to this level of like where we have this automated testing uh, going on, but it's well worth it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm a big fan of having uh, automated tests for that type of stuff. Now, you mentioned, though, you do want to run this up on Bitbucket pipelines in their CI environment. Do they actually give you then the ability to choose a Windows server as the environment to run on? Um, they, I don't think so. Um, but for the most part, since it's Apache, the most of the time, like what I'm doing locally anyway, is like, you know, with a Mac, um, it's, it's going to be kind of that Unix based. So at least it's something we spin up, um, trying to think of the one, the one app that we started getting, uh, the pipelines working with i can't remember i, I want to say it was like we just spin up a little ubuntu image um because that'll that'll get us close it's <laughs> better than nothing you know mm -hmm. okay so speaking of like getting close and like things potentially maybe going wrong in that environment and maybe this is a better question for like your it team but maybe you'll know this one like do you have any like alarms and notifications set up like if the app for whatever reason isn't up and running does someone get notified yeah so if the app breaks while running, um, we have used the uh, Django logging, the built-in logging functionality. Um, it writes out everything to the logs, um, which is uh, fantastic because um, some of our older apps, they, they don't have logging at all, uh, which is when someone says something breaks in there, it's kind of like, oh man, it's just a, it's a, you're going down a rabbit hole. It's just a crapshoot of what might be wrong. And if they actually know what, you know what they were clicking on when it when it broke or whatever the case is but um so we we started using django logging and what we've done is uh we now put in like a uh, a slack alert uh kind of a script that when so if something happens and it gets logged in django it kicks off this script that then alerts us in slack where we've got our different channels um we have a channel for each application that we have out there uh, and we've I've went back and like put in the Slack integration on every app just in case. So in the event that something did break on one of our older apps, at least we're getting notified like, hey, this went down and is having a problem. And it lets us know if, you know, like who the user was, if they were logged in, um, what what the URL was that, that caused that particular issue, uh, you know, and then in the event that it had logging enabled, uh, it lets us know like, Hey, here's the actual error that caused the problem. So it's nice from that perspective. Um, but we don't do, uh, any kind of like constant health updates. So I don't, if something were to just stop working, uh, that had been working for maybe, you know, a month or something like that, if it were just to suddenly stop working, uh, we wouldn't know, but our, luckily our, our feedback loop is really, really short. Um, our staff is, they're great. Our district is fantastic and they, they would be on the phone with us and in a matter of seconds. So, Right. Yeah, that's the best type of uh, error reporting, right? It's when your users come in knocking at your door. <laughs> exactly. 
And now taking a look though at those logs, if you need to, do you just, you know, remotely connect to the machine and poke around the Apache logs like in the Windows server? Yeah, correct. Um, yeah, we just log everything to, um, yeah, right, right there to the server. So that way, if we need to remote in, we can just see exactly what went wrong. And, you know, Apache logs everything in terms of like all the different requests that are coming through and stuff like that. So we have a pretty good idea. Now we've kind of fleshed it out to where, you know, we know what's happening uh, across the uh, project and across the apps there to know who's doing what and, and when and what's happening. Nice. So what would you say are some of your best tips and lessons learned from building this app? Oh man. Um, test everything, <laughs> test everything and log absolutely everything, um, across the board. Uh, those, those are probably the two biggest things, uh, just because I've seen the apps in the past where we didn't take that approach and I have had to support those apps <laughs> where we didn't have that approach. And now I've seen, uh, with employee management, you know, we definitely took like a, a more test. I won't say test driven, but tests are extremely important in that particular project. So, uh, and with the logs in combination with that, it's just been oh, tremendously better. Um, tremendously better. I, I think even beyond that, we, we had, before that application there were everything was like a function-based view um whereas in that project we started using a lot of like the class-based views and like leaning more heavily on the built-in uh django functionality there which has just been so tremendously helpful the more the more django projects and apps that i've been building and stuff the more i've realized like man just lean real heavily on that built-in stuff it'll save you so many lines of code save you so much headache and make everything just more uh, concise, more easily readable. It's just so much better. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. And isn't Django's tagline like something about batteries included? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's like more every day I find some other thing and I, and I go, oh man, I wish I had known about this like six months ago when I was doing this other thing, you know, it's <laughs> There's always some new built-in I'm finding where I'm like, oh, that's perfect. That's That does exactly what I wanted. By the way, speaking about Django, we didn't get a chance to go over this one. Are you using the latest version of Django in Python or no? Uh, we, you know, we're pretty lucky. We get to stay up to date. We, we actually take the monthly updates. So we stay um, pretty cutting edge right on Django. Um, so we're on like 3.0.6, but I think 3.1 is now in beta. Um, so we'll probably, once that rolls around, we'll, we'll probably test that out and then um, upgrade what we can to get onto 3.1. And then with on the Python side, um, we're actually still on Python 3.7, but 3.8 is right on the horizon for us. Right. That's good to hear. It's, it's not like you're still using Python 2.7. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was, um, there was some software that we were looking at that uh, for like error logging and stuff. And they were like, oh yeah, we're on, we're on Python 2.7. And I was like, yeah, okay. Well, I guess we're not using you. <laughs> right. It's like you had 10 years to update. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Chris, thanks a lot for coming on the running in production podcast. It was really great having you on. Yeah, no, it was great being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So before we wrap this up, do you want to share any links to your site, Twitter, GitHub profile, anything like that? Uh, sure. Yeah. I'm pretty easily found online. Um, you can find me, uh, on GitHub, uh, github.com slash, uh, I go by the moniker Hanny Licious. 
That's H-A-N-N-Y-L-I-C-I-O-U-S. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the, at the same handle, Hannylicious. Uh, I also stream on Twitch. I do development. We write little scripts and like chat bots and little stuff like that. Uh, again, Hannylicious. Uh, and if you're interested in um, like food and cooking and other stuff like that, I post a lot of like I do like smoke pulled pork and stuff like that. I post that to Instagram on Hannylicious137. Man, so you're saying someone had Hannylicious already on Instagram? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's a few spots. There's a few uh, a few different uh, medias where Hannylicious was already taken, but uh, I tried to grab it where I could. Right. I'll make sure to, to drop some links in the show notes for all of that. And on that note, to everyone listening, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you in the next one. You've been listening to the Running In Production podcast. You can find a full archive of the show at runninginproduction.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe using your favorite podcast player or leave a review if you like the show.